What are you willing to do in the name of beauty? Botox. Surgery. Wake up at like 4 a.m. to go work out. If I interviewed every Latina about this, I truly believe this list could be endless. Maybe the question isn't what we're willing to do in the name of beauty, but why? Why have I, Maribel, a woman who's never been a fan of med spas and the body modifications offered at these places, been spending so much time researching natural serums to combat aging and the seemingly magical body contouring results of fat freezing, which, by the way, I've been told is very painful. This is the second episode in our Latina Beauty Standards series where we explore the complex topic of la belleza in our culture. In episode one, Liz helped us understand where these standards come from and how they show up in our lives. In this episode, we're exploring the things we're willing to do to feel beautiful and why. You're listening to The Pulsa Podcast. We'll be right back. As a millennial woman who grew up watching telenovelas, I did not escape the message that beauty is important and keeping it is the key to long-term happiness. Just ask anyone who's ever watched Mariela del Barrio, Muchachitas, or Betty La Fea. Cliché storylines aside, many of the shows we Latina millennials grew up watching also always had something in common that made them, quote, beautiful by society standards. And let's be real, outside of the telenovela life, we had few other Latinas to look up to when we were growing up. Jennifer Lopez was my vibe. Like, she was, like, the thing in the media that I related myself to. This is Christy Lasso, an indigenous Peruvian millennial Latina focused on decolonizing motherhood and breaking intergenerational cycles. I asked her what she thought the women that she often looked up to had in common. They're white passing. They're obviously, like, in shape, thin. I recognize that, you know, as an indigenous woman, um... I'm never going to have this very thin body, right? Um, but back then, I wanted to be a Victoria's Secret model. Christy and I are not exactly telenovela or Victoria's Secret material. So I wanted to hear from someone who, in my humble opinion, checks all of these conventional, attractive Latina boxes. My full name is Katia Reyero Lindor. Katia is a Latina, Boricua to be exact, who is currently balancing parenting, marriage, and social activism. I asked her to share what experiencing these cultural standards of belleza has been like for her. I'm Puerto Rican, and I had in this ongoing joke that you don't go to a supermarket without having your hair and makeup done. But something that was like a more subtle, unspoken innuendo was body image. My mom has always been fit. As an impressionable young child, that meant to me I got to look fit. I got to look good, having a nice you know, toned body was really important. And so I would find myself really frustrated with my body because I wouldn't get skinny and ripped because I have bigger butt and bigger hips and I'm naturally thicker than my mom is. And so I was never achieving that beauty ideal that I would see in like Victoria's Secret magazines that my mom would receive. Hold up. Thin, white, passing, in shape, gorgeous women like Katya have body image issues? Well, I'm screwed. Is that what you're thinking? Because that's what I was thinking during this conversation. Would you say that these models in the magazines were some of the, the people that you remember kind of looking up to? So me being a, you know, white passing Latina, I was like, I guess we're the same skin type, but I still didn't feel identified with a lot of them because it just seemed like they were the same kind of blonde, blue eyed, you know, straight hair, skinny. And it just seemed like that was the standard of beauty to look up to. 
Given that many of us have grown up surrounded by messages that portray whiteness as beauty, it's no surprise that for Latinas like myself and Katia, comparing ourselves to that standard is almost inescapable. And as Liz mentioned in the first episode of this series, for many Latinas, the way we look is sometimes the only thing we can control. A recent study conducted between Vital Findings and Televisa Univision determined that 75% of Latinas agree that beauty is an important part of their culture compared to 56% of non-Hispanics. My body was the biggest source of insecurity for me growing up. That started pretty much around 13. I started working out way earlier than most of my other friends. I did a lot of things for my physique. You know, like I was really, I didn't go out on the weekends so that I could stick to like a meal plan and so that I could work out and not like veer off my my routine. I would like freak out if one day something got in the way of me being able to work out or do whatever physical activity I had planned for that day. I would spiral. I would be like, oh no, I'm going to get fat because this one day I didn't go to the gym or I didn't run. It was a lot of just kind of mixed signals that I had for myself. But I'm doing this to look good. And if I don't do it, I'm not worth anything kind of thing. What's like the craziest thing that you've ever done to stay in shape? I'd wake up at like 4 a.m. to go work out so that I would work out before class and then I would work out after class. Wow. That's a lot, especially at that age to like be that that rigorous. And I think intrinsically I associate my body with my worth And that's what really needs to be um, healed at a deeper level, which I now know, but, you know, just takes years of undoing and unlearning and relearning. Katia is right. It does take years of unlearning and relearning. Sometimes we do things to our bodies in pursuit of this ideal standard that can be severely self-damaging and even dangerous. How do I know? Because I'm almost 40 and I still struggle with body dysmorphia, meaning when I look in the mirror, Sometimes I only see the flaws. There's always something that seems like I could fine-tune or fix. But is it really just our inner voice that makes us feel this way, or is it someone else? This ties in with Christie's research for her Master's in Social Justice Education, where she focuses on decolonization and breaking intergenerational cycles. We are very much taught to be obedient, to have our family's approval. Right. So I feel like particularly that's that around making our families happy, making them feel good about us, because we constantly have this sense of judgment from them. Remember that study I quoted earlier? Well, they also found that 66% of Latinas say they were taught at an early age that maintaining their appearance is important. And it's not just about looking good for themselves. Latinas are more likely to say that they want to look good so their family will be proud of them. That's 67% versus 48% of non-Hispanics. Even though I'm fully grown, I still feel enormous joy when my mom compliments me. There's also a general sense of pride that I get when I show up as my best self. No matter where I'm going, like dressing up to sit in la sala, a joke, but kind of a standard in many Latino families. Raise your hand if you get doled up to spend the evening at home with your family on Nochebuena. I get doled up for me. 100% for me. However... I gotta admit, there's this voice in the back of my head that says I have to be the best one looking in the room. So I feel like, you know, this competition kind of thing in the back of my head of like, be the best dressed, have the best makeup, because I feel like that's just a message that I somehow got growing up. I think, will I ever get to a day where that little voice in the back of my head is absolutely silenced? Probably not. Feeling like you have to be the best-looking one in the group is a familiar experience for people like Valentina Agosti, 
who grew up between two very beauty-centered cultures, Venezuela and Miami. If you're Venezuelan and here in Miami, if we're walking down the street or in a mall, I could point out who are the Venezuelan women. There's just a look. There's a body shape, you know, the perky breasts and the tiny waist and the big hips. So you stood out if you don't look like that, you know? So you have to have a big, strong personality to be like, I don't want to look like that. <laughs> What's the craziest thing or the strangest thing you've ever done in the name of beauty? Botox. Botox is like you freeze your nerves. So that's pretty crazy. <laughs> But I still do it and I'm proud of it and I love it. <laughs> Why are you proud of it? Why not do it if it's going to make you feel better? I don't like needles, so I could never do that. <laughs> I sweat and I get nervous, you know, but it's momentary. It goes away. <laughs> so would you say it's worth it? The pain? Oh, for sure. No pain, no gain, baby. <laughs> Valentina's expression reminds me of every time I had hair waxed off my body or the first time I had laser hair removal. Ouch. Did I do all of this for myself? I could argue that I love how smooth my underarms are now, and I want to believe that external factors have nothing to do with my desire to fit into a standard, improve my physical appearance, or even completely redesign it. But if I'm being totally honest, I personally have a hard time believing that as Latinas, we are truly, quote, doing all of this beauty stuff for ourselves. And as far as I can tell, we don't yet have the research that shows us otherwise. Because since the existence of mass media, we've been subjected to specific standards of beauty. As a woman living in the United States, it is nearly impossible to escape this message. Do you think that there's anything in there related to society beauty standards that you're trying to appease or relate to? I mean, yeah, maybe in a small degree I am appeasing. The way you dress and the way you look says a lot about, about you, and it's a form of expression, so... It just depends how you want the world to see you or what you want to say about yourself. In Venezuela, there's a saying that goes, para ser bella hay que ver estrellas, which literally translates to, to be beautiful, you have to see stars, meaning that you have to suffer to be beautiful. I remember my mom had her breast done. And then after I had my firstborn, I got a, a, a lift and then I put in silicones. My aunt also has done, you know, surgical procedures. It's just, it's not a big deal. I feel like here in the United States, it's a much bigger deal. But there was never a question for you. Like you never questioned why so many surgeries, why? I think that I didn't question it until you leave, right? If you're removed from your bubble, then you see like, oh, snap, look, there's like different ways that people can dress and there's different ways that women can look and that is okay and that is normal. So I think that when you're in that bubble, you don't see anything else. But also, again, coming back to like, I am a in a good place with my body and my mental health regarding my body. So I think it's controlled. <laughs> I think the trauma, the trauma is not coming through, right? Like it's, it's good. I admire Valentina's relaxed outlook on beauty and self-love. I also can't say I've never thought about turning the clock back on my postpartum mamacita body. Raise your hand if you've had a baby or two and know exactly why Valentina had her breast done. That's another thing that we have society standards to thank for, the snapback body. Why is there this crazy expectation that your body will go back to looking exactly as you did before giving birth? What a load of crap. And there's a whole industry dedicated to this magical illusion. Yesterday, I tried shapewear for the first time. 
And let me tell you, I wasn't wearing it just to sit in the sala. I'd made sure my husband saw me make a few laps around the house before I changed back into real people clothes. This makes me wonder, has our devotion to beauty become an obsession? Here's Christy Lasso again. When I say my body, my rules, and I teach that to my daughter, and I feel that everybody should have that. Like if you, for example, want to get a surgical procedure to look a certain way, and that's going to make you feel better about your life and feel better about yourself, I'm not going to judge you for that because that's your body. It's not my business. However, I do see a systemic issue and a cultural issue with how we are taught not to love ourselves. We need to remember that we are under a very colonial, Eurocentric beauty standard space through and through. So, you know, we're going to always have pressure to look a certain way, be a certain way, especially when we live in a society where trends are constantly changing. Like, how do you keep up? It is more powerful and it is more empowering and it is more outstanding to love you for everything you are than try to be something that maybe is not meant for you. Christy is referring to trends in body shapes, which is impossible to emulate. Yet the plastic surgery industry isn't exactly going broke from helping people achieve certain standards. So I went back to Katia Lindor with this question. People are paying thousands of dollars to have the body you have. What do you say to them? We're never satisfied with what we have, you know? I'm not going to throw shade on them for that. I just know that no matter how I looked, at the end of the day... If I didn't feel good in my own skin, it really had nothing to do with what other people were saying about me because I got complimented very often. And that made no difference because I didn't see it. I didn't see what they saw. And I don't even know that if any amount of surgery I could do would change the way I feel about myself. That's ultimately it. I'm trying to heal the underlying cause so that no matter how I look, I still love myself and love the way I look. I've been in therapy for many years and I'm working on Just kind of loving every stage of me, trying to really know maybe what my mom has always tried to tell me, but really believe that my beauty is not tied to my physical beauty. But when it's all said and done, there is one thing that I think every Latina I know can agree on. We show up looking our damn best. And Valentina, our friend from Miami, agrees. Absolutely. Like, you're not going to show up to a party, you know, wearing flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt. I do think that there is value in presenting yourself in, in a certain type of way because at the end of the day, we do live in a society that, that cares about that. I don't know what it is about flip-flops that Americans love, but in my house growing up, those were called chanclas and they were not to be worn to any formal occasion. To quote Liz in the previous episode, antes muerta que sencilla, am I right? There is research that says Latinas and Black women are the top consumers of beauty, not just in makeup, but perfume, body care, hair care. For bad or for good, a culture expectation to show up ready, right? And when you show up to the parties, um, the La Familia, the Quinces, whatever, right? That's Leslie Valdivia, founder of Vive Cosmetics, one of the few Latina-owned makeup brands out there. I talked with Leslie and her co-founder, Joanna Rosario, to find out what kind of impact Latinas have on the modern cosmetics industry. We come in all shapes. We have so many different cultures. There's so much nuance in our Latina community that 
it, it wasn't represented. And that's what we noticed and we realized. And that's one of the reasons why we, we decided, well, let's take it upon ourselves to create something where, where we feel seen ourselves and others can feel seen as well. Do you think the beauty industry helps our people, our community, or do you think it hurts us? The beauty industry is is still a toxic place. Companies are launching more products than ever. There's new launches every single week, profiting off millions of dollars. Uh, and, you know, people could say off people's insecurities. I do feel that the beauty industry is very toxic as well. And their campaigns and their photos, like it, there's so much Photoshop. And there's so much, you know, that that at the end of the day, it's, it's showing our, our community that, you know, you need to, you can't have texture. You have to look a certain way. And in order to be accepted. And one of the things that Leslie and I do is we do not Photoshop our photos. That's one of the things where it hurts our community and people who do, don't feel seen um, in these campaigns feel that they need to change who they are in order to fit in. I'm definitely one of those people that Leslie and Joanna are talking about. I had to stop following accounts on Instagram that didn't care about people like me being represented. Between us, I unfollowed some people I used to really like before Instagram existed because I realized that I was watching idealized versions of their appearances. And watching them was making me hate myself. Yet, I also don't think wanting to look good is something to be ashamed of. But I do wonder if sometimes we give our own beauty standards too much power. Are we crossing a line and going too far? Here's what Katia and Valentina have to say about that. When you're trying to change your appearance, when you look completely fine before, and there was really nothing major that you had to, like, fix, I say within quotes, um then yeah, that's really, I feel like you're trying to adhere to the beauty standards that is being thrown at us every day. Like the lip injections, that's like such a fad nowadays where I feel like I can't even differentiate anymore between women who had it naturally and women who don't because it's like everyone has it. There's some people who eat and they feel bad, who like walk down a car and see their reflection and it gives them like bad thoughts. It's like overcoming your day, like overpowering your day. That is not healthy. When you're spending ridiculous amounts of money in all these procedures and Botox, because all of these things, things are expensive. And some people spend like a very large percentage of their income on that. How are you raising your kids in regards to these beauty standards? The ones that you were raised with? I think, again, it goes back to language. It goes back to example. So if you're children, it could be boys and girls, see you always weighing yourself, always worried and like asking like, do I look good? Does this look good? Oh, I feel fat. Like, it's just, you have to be very conscious of what you say and how you act around those little people that are just sponges and learning from you. I agree with Valentina. Language is powerful and we can impact the way all genders see beauty with how we talk about it in the home. And more specifically, to learn how we can help future generations of women feel more empowered about their beauty. I asked Christy and Katia how they're handling it. You have a daughter, so what kind of physical expectations do you want her to have for herself? I want her to love herself and I want her to have autonomy over her body. I just hope that she knows that my expectation would never be for her to like look any type of way, you know, as long as she feels beautiful and and confident in her in her own skin. Do you think that we can decide what our own standards of beauty are? I absolutely. I really want to believe so. Ten years ago, you couldn't. I think now standards are definitely changing. Beauty is not 
it shouldn't be gendered. Any gender, any people can wear makeup and lipstick to feel good. Our last shoe, we had models of literally all ages and all genders and all of that. So we were really excited to move more in that direction. We hope that we're not promoting um, people changing how they look, but more embracing how they already are. And if that's just a little lip color that makes you feel good, then our job is done. Wow, that was a lot. I think we just learned so much. And I know that I'm definitely going to be looking at beauty standards in a different way. It was a lot. And we tried to cover so many things in two episodes. I have to say that I was a little nervous going into my episode because I was worried about the things that it would bring up in me. And as you all have heard, it definitely brought up some things and some insecurities and things that I don't I'm not sure are really going to go away anytime soon because the truth is we don't have the answers. We don't have the resolution. It shows that this conversation is really complex, that we're not going to find a solution and that that's not our job, right? We just really want to open up the conversation so that our listeners feel identified and know that you, Maribel, and me, we're grappling with the same questions and we're curious about how to come out of this more empowered, more empathetic, and more understanding of what beauty means to all of us and how to move forward in a positive way. And I really like that about what we discussed. I like the idea of defining beauty for ourselves. Like, can we take the narrative back and put ownership on that and decide what that is for us? And I think that this new generation is doing that better. I am hopeful for that. And it makes me really excited to see my daughter, Eva, grow up in a world where she is not going to have the same insecurities that I had, the same pressures that I grew up with, or the same expectations that you and I are still trying to do away with and redefine what we want to keep and what we want to leave back. So the future is bright for all of the Latinas, Latines who are going to be up and coming in our society to yeah, just own it for themselves. You can subscribe to the Pulsa Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to give us a listen. Have questions or story ideas to send our way? Send us an email to info at projectpulsa.org. This episode was written and produced by me, Maribel Quesada-Smith. Editorial oversight by Jackie Nowak. Audio engineering and mixing by Charlie Garcia. Music by Julian Blackmore. Hey, Pulso fam. I want to tell you all about Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta podcast about language, culture, and communication. Have you ever wondered what your cat is trying to tell you? Or how Disney Pixar writers craft stories that resonate across numerous languages? Atlas Lingue host Luis Lopez explores these topics and so much more. It's a show about the confusing, wonderful, and weird world of language, and this season, they're diving deep into the language of culture online. They're interviewing content creators from different countries who document their daily lives and cultural backgrounds on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. New episodes air every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch all the interviews on their YouTube channel at 80 Podcasts.